0: A couple weeks ago, there was an article in the Washington Post, the sports section, which is really the only part of the Washington Post I like. Um, And uh, it was about, it was a story about a baseball player. His name's Brian Mazone. And Brian was drafted, I'm trying to think, I, I think San Diego drafted him, but he ended up in the Philadelphia Phillies farm team. Played minor league ball for years and years and years and years i think probably 10 years just having that dream that he could be called up to the big leagues and it never happened and he was in his mid-30s he's a pitcher and uh, time was winding down and the Phillies had a doubleheader and for whatever reason they drained all their pitching staff and they needed a pitcher a starter really fast and So they called Brian Mazzone up and, you know, after all these years and all this work and all this striving and living off of of not a whole lot in the minor leagues, he was so excited. So he called his parents, his wife, everybody said, hey, I'm starting on Tuesday night. And so everybody flew into Philadelphia and um, he was there on Monday night, went to bed. He, He got up the next morning and it was pouring down rain, just like in torrents. But he's like, i got to get to the field, i got to get ready. So he goes over to, to the stadium, and uh, he's got uh, uh, his, uh, all his gear is there. He's got his jersey, he's got his name on it. And so he gets dressed, and he walks out to the dugout, and it's just pouring. It's relentless, and it poured for two days. By the time the rain had stopped, the pitchers were all re-rested and they sent him back down to the minor league. So he never played. There was another time, about a year later, where they needed him and they called him up, but two days before that, he had signed a contract with a Korean baseball team and he had to honor, the, honor that contract and he never got to play. So he went his entire career, he's 42 years old today, went his entire first half of his life probably, thinking about what could be, and it never happened. And so the, the writer of this article wrote a couple of things. I just want to read this. <clears throat> this is uh, around the end of the article. It said, in the darkened living room of, of his family's home, the blinds holding back the brilliant light of another sunny day Mazzone was asked whether he believes he was a big leaguer. Seconds went by, 10, 20, 30. He was struggling. Finally, haltingly, he recalled a friend pulling him aside recently and saying, in our eyes, you're a big leaguer. He cried then. He was crying again now. Another part of this article said this. It's safe to say no fate was worse than Brian Mazzone's, his defining moment washed away by the most universal, unsparing, and unpredictable of forces. For the rest of his life, he will never see another rainstorm without thinking about that day. I hate the rain, he said. That was... um, that was the gist of the article. I don't know Brian Mazzone. I don't know much about him other than his baseball stats. He was a great pitcher. don't know where he is today, but based on this article, not in a great place. But it made me think a lot about about this idea, I hate the rain. And, and, and it's, it's something that, that just really kind of gripped me when I, I saw this. And I thought, you know... <clears throat> This guy has looked at this as the defining moment of his life. This was the big chance, the big opportunity that simply washed away. And I want to talk about that today. I'm going to refer to this several times in this series. But um, um, I've been on a journey. And it started about two years ago where I began to, to just sense God pulling me somewhere that I'd never been. I, I, I've, I, I like to plan, and I have ideas and dreams and hopes and things I want to see accomplished. But God has His plans, and sometimes they really mess with mine. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a, a very uncomfortable place. And yet, I feel very compelled to follow These things that God has been putting in my life and things that He's been speaking to me. And this has uh, evolved into something that I believe is very directional for me personally. And what I believe is very directional for our church. And so I'm really excited at the same time. There are a lot of things about this that I don't have a clue about. So I'm just going to give you what I have and take you where I am. And I hope that we can take this, this journey together. Um, I, I just want to make sure that we do everything that we can to follow God, to be the people that God's called us to be, to, to hear Him, to follow Him, to become that person that God created for us to become, I want to do everything that I can to, to make sure that I'm there, and I'm going to drag you with me. As many of you uh, who will go on this journey, because I believe that what God is doing is something very unique and very special. And uh, so today we're starting this series. That um, I it took me a little while to come up with this, but I came up with this title: "What on Earth Are You Doing?" And I will tell you this: the f- first time I ever heard that phrase, it wasn't very endearing. Um, it came from my mother, and um, it, it was like it was in the late '60s. I, I grew up in the most amazing time. That the, the I, I, and I'd say this all the time, but the music of the late '60s and '70s, there is no other music like. I know Lady Gaga's good, but she ain't she ain't no Three Dog Night. Let me tell you that. You know it was just awesome music and and I wanted to be in a band, but there were a couple problems. One is, I was in a really conservative church, and being in a band was like a sin. Uh, I think I could work my way around that, but the other problem was even bigger i didn 't know anybody who knew anything about music and and so I decided to be my own band and um, what I did was I played piano, and then I realized I need a bass guitar, but a, a didn't have any bass guitar, and you can't play bass guitar and piano. So I taught myself how to play the piano with the right hand and play the bass with my left hand, and that was going pretty good. And then I needed drums, and so I could, you know, you know play, and I did drums with my mouth, but then I couldn't sing. So I decided, I came up with this idea, and I took my mother's singer sewing machine in this big box, and I hauled it over by the piano. And it was one of those old ones, really loud, clunky sewing machines. And it had a foot pedal. And so I took a rubber band and put it around a foot pedal. And then it had a dial where you could dial the speed. So that became my drum set. And I could put it on a thing and I could play and I could do the bass and sing. And it was great. And then uh, I was doing that for like 20 minutes and then the machine started smoking. And that's when Haze was was, was, uh, created, right there. It was like a surreal moment. And then this woman shrieked, what on earth are you doing? And that was the end of my band. That was it. It was over. Um, That is not my intent with this title, what on earth are you doing? I have a whole different picture here that I want to share with you uh, with this title. But the question remains, what on earth are you doing? So what I want to do is I'm going to share with you some things I'm learning, things that I've figured out, things that I feel God has led me toward. And I want you to ask that question of yourself, what on earth am I doing? What am I doing here? Why am I here? Um, I, I tend to think that people in the body of Christ, Christ followers, look to me to not be that much different than people who are not Christ followers when it comes to destiny, when it comes to living a life that has some purpose an aim, and aim and, a, and, and something powerful. And today I want to start with the idea of, of the calling, what the, the call that God has placed on our life. And I want to, I want to talk about this. And, and I want to start by talking about something I know about God that we need to understand, and, and it, it's, this, this, is a, um, this is a life changer when you really understand this. God doesn't live in the same sphere as we do. He doesn't think dimensionally the way that we think. He created dimension. He lives in a place where He can float all over eternity. And so what he has done, according to his word, is he has gone into the future and created the future. The Bible says that he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. It's a symbol of who God is. God, God is not surprised by what's happening today in the news. He knows everything. He has gone into the future and created it and and he has come back to us and he's trying to pull us into the future that he has created. He wants to see if we're going to participate. We're not we're not like um robots where we just have to go do this. He gives us the option to participate in the future that he has created. I don't know that we think about that enough I don't know that we um, understand it because it feels very much to me like most people that I know live for today or live for a, a future that is 10 years from now or 20 years from now or live for retirement live for making the money getting the right job live for some kind of success whatever and we miss the whole big picture and and so Today, I want to talk about this calling. There's a story in Genesis, it's only a couple of verses long, and I want to read this. You know, in Genesis, we, we see the story of Abraham uh, being the father, becoming the father of, of every nation. He, he was the one who, who uh, God, he, he just followed God. He had faith and he went to the promised land and, and led the children of Israel there. But he wasn't the first person to have that call. Then let me read this, because th- this, this should shake you up. Out of uh, Genesis 11, verse 31, it says, One day, Terah took his son, Abram. Terah is the father of Abraham. Took his son, Abram, his daughter-in-law, Sarah, and his grandson, Lot, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, I, want to, I want you to get this. He was headed for the land of Canaan. The promised land. Now, like Abraham... He had never seen this land. You know, it was said of Abraham that he had such great faith that he went to a land he had never seen, a land he did not know. Terah had the same call on his life. Terah was Abraham's father. Listen, here's what happened. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran. Haran is is an oasis. They stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died in Haran. Now, Haran, we don't know whether Haran had its name at that time or whether Tara gave it its name. Terah had a brother who was Lot's father, uh, and, and Terah's uh, brother was named Haran. And Terah's brother Haran died. And it was very painful. Uh, it was something that Terah that probably hadn't dealt with A lot of scholars think that he named this oasis after his brother. In other words, it was that pain that drove him and he settled there and he never saw the place where he had been beckoned and called. Kind of a tough thing. But what I want to do today is give you some things to think about so that we don't end up hating the rain. We don't end up settling in Tehran But that we follow after God and what He has for us. Every human being has a unique calling on his or her life. Something special that God has for us. Something that He wants us to do. And He has planned a great plan. It's on the wall out there. It's on earth as it is in heaven. That's the plan. God has something really incredible that He wants to take His church, His people to. And you're part of that, and you are very unique and very special, and He wants to pull you into this plan. And so it's extremely important how we live having this information. Paul said, it's it's an incredible passage of Scripture in Ephesians 2. I want you to get this. He says, We are God's masterpiece. In other words, He didn't create junk. We are God's masterpiece. Now, you may not feel like a masterpiece. You may feel terrible about you. You may hate you. You may be disappointed in you. You may feel like, man, somebody ruined me. It says, though, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a key. When you become a Christ follower, invite Christ in in your life, what becomes new? You do. You're this masterpiece now. And why? So we can do the good things he planned for us years ago. So what I want to do, I'm going to give you two stories out of the Bible. You're going to read them both. Both focused on a guy by the name of Elisha. Elisha was an Old Testament prophet, one of the greatest prophets ever. Some people think the greatest prophet ever. And... Um, Uh, I just want to read, the the first one is a story about the end of his life. The first one is a story about when he became a prophet. So let me read the second story, and then we'll talk about it, and then go to the next one. Sometime before the death of King Jehoash, Jehoash was the king during Elisha's, the last part of his profiting. Uh, Elisha the prophet was very sick and about to die. Jehoash went in and stood beside him crying. He said, Master, what will Israel's chariots and cavalry be able to do without you? Now, Jehoash was not a very spiritually God-minded guy. He had come to be totally dependent on the prophet Elisha for anything at all because he just just didn't get it a lot. And, And so Elisha was always having to chastise him and challenge him and change direction. Well, Jehoash became very accustomed to this and and, and loved Elisha. And Elisha's dying and Jehoash is scared. So Elisha said, grab a bow and some arrows and hold them in your hand. Jehoash grabbed the bow and arrows and held them. Elisha placed his hand on the king's hand and said, open the window facing east. When it was open, Elisha shouted, now shoot! Jehoash shot an arrow, and Elisha said, That arrow is a sign that the Lord will help you completely defeat the Syrian army at Aphek. Then Elisha said, Pick up the arrows and strike the ground with them. Jehoash grabbed the arrows and hit the ground three times, then stopped. Elisha became angry at the king and exclaimed, If you had struck it five or six times, you would have completely wiped out the Syrians. Now you would defeat them only three times. Now, that's kind of a weird story. And you would think that maybe Elisha would have given him a little instruction, saying, hey, why don't you hit the ground six times or whatever. And by the way, it, it's, you know, I always thought that Elisha took the arrows and was holding them in his hand he's beating on the ground, which m- makes no sense at all. When you, when you read the Amplified Version of the Bible, you find out that he was to drive these arrows into the ground. In other words, he was pulling arrows out of the quiver and firing them. And, and he, he fired three, but apparently there were a bunch more arrows in the quiver. And this was his opportunity to really make a statement, to really show what God could do. And he just stopped, he just quit. Now, there's a posture toward life that separates those of us who shoot all the arrows and those who leave a quiver with leftovers. And Elisha was the kind of guy that was an all-in guy. He was a go-for-it kind of guy. And Jehoash was not. Now, we see this come out in Elisha's life early in his uh beginning beginning days of being a prophet um elisha if you'll remember those of you who've heard the story know that there was a great prophet before elisha by the name of elijah and elijah appointed elisha to be a new prophet i want to read that story now it says so elijah went and found elisha son of shaphat plowing a field He was a farmer, Elisha was. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. That was a sign, a symbol, that the mantle of ministry was leaving Elijah and going to Elisha. So Elisha knew right away what was happening. He was going to be the next prophet. Had to be a sobering moment. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. I think that's a funny phrase. So Elisha returned to his oxen. This is after he told everybody goodbye and, and, and you know, kissed his parents. and He, he returned to his oxen now I want you to understand, he's a farmer. This is how he makes a living. This is, this is you know, he had oxen and he had a plow. This was, this was the tools. This is everything he needed to make life happen for him. He slaughtered the oxen. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. He burned the bridges he ended this life that he had so worked so hard to prepare now this sacrifice this slaughtering the bulls the the burning of the plow I want you to I want you to get this and put it in the right thought process here this represented Elisha's past it represented his past In your notes I want want you to write down what I have here this is huge my past has prepared me for my destiny but it does not dictate my destiny the resources of my past provide the material to build my future my past has prepared me for my destiny but it doesn't dictate my destiny the resources of my past provide the material to build my future. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. I want to talk about your past. Um, Some of you would like to burn your past because it's kind of a mess. Uh, Some of you have some good things and some bad things, but your past and everything that has happened, where you are today, those things are the substance of what builds your future and i 'm going to talk about three areas today I call these um, reference life experiences these are these are three three parts of our past that we deal with now they 're not all the parts of our past don't don't get me wrong. but these are the things that shape us, and they're pretty they're pretty big and i 'm just going to give you the the three things we deal with and then I am going to talk about each one of these. The first one is pain. You can you can write this in your notes there. The second one is fear. And the last one is failure. And if you want to the side of that you could just write the word shame. Now here's what happens everything that takes place in your life ends up coming through this area right here and and so when something happens when 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 something's triggered, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, or, or it's God speaking to you, or somebody saying, hey, you ought to consider doing this, or whatever, whatever happens, it all comes through this filter, and it hits all these neurons in, in your head, and your brain, and your thinking, and you make your decisions about what you do, many times based on these three areas. And since we're talking about the plan that God has for you, I want to talk specifically how that affects you as you begin to think through the future. Because already some of you have disqualified yourselves from ever becoming the person that God wants you to be because of some of these areas in your life. You've said, well, yeah, I could do this, but I really can't do that. I, I could, and, and that's what we do. And we think we need to either ignore these or let them be the reason why we don't do things or hide them. You aren't going to become the person that God wants you to be because you are so good, because you are so gifted, because you are so talented. God works through your weaknesses, not your strengths. So I want to talk about it. Let's start with pain and and i wrote in your notes there we misinterpret pain i have a friend who um, i think the world of he's such a great guy and um he he gave his life to christ years ago but um his his walk with jesus has been very shallow and and in one regard, and, and I see this so much today. Um, I see it happen all, a lot um, in In this particular case, he had a sibling who he was very close to who passed away prematurely, and um, it it broke his heart, and so for years now, he has been in this posture. I can't believe God did this to me. I can't believe God let this happen. And he's angry at God. And he has just parked his life around that pain. We have this idea sometimes that when we become a Christ follower, when we say yes to Jesus, and it's kind of a consumer mentality that that takes over, and and, uh, sometimes we make assumptions with this, but we think that when we become a christian that we should be excluded from pain and that when things happen and are bad then god let us down but that's not that's not what scripture teaches that's not what jesus taught us or showed us it's not anything that has to do with anything that makes any sense in fact i want to show you some things and i've i've given you some bullet points here uh, I want you to fill in the blanks here because I want you to be thinking about these things. I think some of this, some of you're going to have to take home and process for a while. But here's the first one pain is not the limit of your life. You must go through pain. You can't park here. You can't park in a place where something happened and it was so painful, and you can't believe God let that happen or God did it to me and you're stuck there and you, you let that then define the limit of your life. You have to go through pain. Bullet number two, faith does not make life easier. That's not the goal. Faith makes life stronger. Number three, pain determines the degree of our effectiveness. And in that blank, just write the word Jesus. I mean, if anybody had faith in God, it was Jesus. He wasn't excused from pain. In fact, his pain was unimaginable. We think the things that hurt us, <laughs> you know, if they don't kill us, you know, you know, you know the saying, uh, then, then we're fine. Um, There's a lot of truth to that, but we park at pain many times and we limit what God wants to do in our lives. There's a verse in Psalms that talks about um, Joseph and and all that Joseph did, and and it refers to the fact that Joseph was given in slavery to the Egyptians, And, and you know the story if you've seen the. Coat of many colors, or heard about something in Sunday school. Joseph was the, he, he, he was, his life was filled with pain. He ended up in prison for 13 years for something he didn't do. Here's what the psalmist says about that. Then God sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, the Israelites. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. God used the pain. In fact, it could almost be thought that God orchestrated this entire event. And in Joseph's mind, that's exactly what happened. He, says, he said to his brothers one day, he said, what you meant for harm, God meant for salvation. And that's exactly what happened the salvation of a nation. Pain. We misinterpret it. We have to go through it. We can't park there. The second one is fear fear. We overvalue it. Write this down. What you fear establishes the boundaries of your life. There's a guy that um, I'd love He's an author and a speaker and a great pastor out of Los Angeles. His name is Erwin McManus. And, and um, he, he's just an amazing guy. I met him one time. I, I don't know him, he doesn't know me. But I just loved his books. And they're, they're kind of hard reading for me, but, but I, I love them. And I love what he has to say. And, and I love his, you know, when he speaks, it's always incredible. But he kind of dropped off the face of the earth about five or six years ago, and I, I, I'd never heard anything from him. There were no books, he wasn't speaking anywhere. And I've often wondered, what, what happened to Irwin? Well, this summer, I went to the uh, Global Leadership Summit, and um, he was one of the speakers. And I thought, wow, this is great, you know, he's back. And, um, and when he began to speak, I found out what happened. What happened was that he, he got cancer, and it was bad. And it was all through his body. He had surgeries and, and chemo and radiation, and pretty much his life was over. They were telling him, you know, people don't survive this usually, and um, uh, and he was told to, you know, prepare for for the inevitable, and. And he was, he was petrified. He has two little, you know, at the time, the two young boys, now they're, now they're older, uh, a, a beautiful wife and family and a future. And, you know, everything's gone well for him. He has a, a huge church that he pastors and he speaks all over and he's all over the world doing things and then boom, it's all over. And so he was talking to God. He was like, God, what are you doing? What's this about? And, and you, know, if, 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 you know, what do you want from me? And he said, I I heard God say this, and when he he said this, I wrote as fast as I could. He said, die right here. God's telling him, die right here. If you will die, I will take you where only dead men can go. And then Erwin said, if death is behind you, only life is in front of you. And then he looked at the whole crowd and he said, he said, I'm not afraid anymore. He goes, you know, I'm a parent and I was worried about my children and I was worried about my wife and I was worried about our church and I I, I was afraid and he said, and then I died. He goes, dead men aren't afraid. And I realized that I knew what he was saying. We're all dying. I don't know if you know that or not, but it is, it's a sad, true statement. We're all going to die. It could be today. It could be 25 years from now. It could be 50 years from now, but it's happening. And so, if you're already dead, what is there to be afraid about? The world is um, needing dead people to lead to not be afraid it's it's um we don't want this fear to establish the boundaries of our life and and so today i would ask you what are you afraid of where what's the fear that drives your life what is it that you just don't i mean some of you've been through some horrible things in your life and you just pray to god they never happen again And so that fear drives what you do and how you react to things and how you respond to things. And fear can stop us dead in our tracks. But God shows us that fear dealt properly with can be part of the building block of a life and the calling that He has for our life. Number three, failure. We try to hide from it. I told you you could write the word shame here. Um, It's a stuff that's happened that we didn't want to see happen Um, but it did there's another word that goes with this that I think needs to be addressed in this and that's blame here's the deal when we fail and it's found out about which most failure people know about we start asking the question and it's rampant in our society well whose fault is that who did that who caused this to happen to me and 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 so we come up with all these things the reason that I did this is because this person did that the reason I have this attitude is because my parents did this if she had only loved me I wouldn't have had an affair If he had only done this, I wouldn't have done that. And so, what we do is we try to deflect failure. We try to to push it off. We try to blame somebody else or create. You know, the best thing that you could do in, in failure is say, I did it. I did it. I failed. But we don't really want to do that. We want to f- have reasons why we can do it. And I wrote something in your notes. You need to fill in the blank here, but it's this a victim cannot pursue destiny. A victim cannot pursue a destiny. You've been at the scene of every crime that has been committed against you or by you. You've been there. You're the common denominator, you're the one that's always there. And it's on you. And you don't want to take that on. I don't want to take that on because we don't like it. But it is part of the building block of our destiny, our future. I mean, there are times when I've just totally humiliated myself. I I remember one time, this was kind of shocking even to me. It was years and years ago and um, I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And... Somebody had left, I'm not going to mention who. She, she, she runs our kids' ministry here, but um, she left her Barbie on the floor. And Barbie d- didn't have any clothes on. And this was back when Barbie's body parts were more pointed than they are today. And I stepped on Barbie in the middle of the night And I crumpled like I had been shot because there were two holes in the bottom of my foot. And I'd hit the floor and things came out of my mouth in the middle of the night that I hadn't even heard since I was in the locker room of the Redskins. I refer to that as the Barbie booby trap. It just wiped out my life. And I was so mad at anybody, at Rachel, at my wife, or, you know, I did it, I did it. I wanted to blame somebody else, but it was me. I hate Barbie. <laughs> but we do that, we always want to blame somebody else, and, but a victim can't pursue a destiny, it's impossible. Um. Simon Peter, look at him. He failed. He failed, he failed miserably. And what did he do? He left. He quit. He went fishing. He decided to go back to fishing. And Jesus had to go back and and get him. And it was out of that failure and out of that mess that his life took on an entirely new meeting. And, and, and Jesus just, He loved him through the failure. He loved them I, I put in your notes, think about the things wh- where you've fallen in the past. Think about the places where you have failed in the past. What have you done? Have you owned it? And I want you to recognize that our greatest opportunities come out of our greatest weaknesses you know <clears throat> mark thirteen thirty four it says it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. That's what God has done with us. He has, he has gone on a journey and he has left and he has put his servants, that's us, in charge of his work. And so, he has done this with people who have pain, and he's done it with people who have fear, and people who have failure and shame in their lives. He doesn't do it because we've been so good. He doesn't do it because we're all polished and cleaned up. Honestly, I wouldn't be here if that were the case. And probably most of you would not be. He builds out of our weaknesses. Um, I gave you, in your notes, some homework. Because I think that many times we let these experiences kill the dream of our life. And so what I want you to do, I want you to I want you to think through this. I it, take it home and and you don't have to. You know, I'm not grading it. I don't you don't have to turn it in. I just want something different for you. I want something better. And I want you to write down five God dreams for your life. And let me let me explain a God dream. It's not about your business success and your money and your house and those kinds of things. It may include some of that, but that's not the dream. Everything that God has gifted us to do and called us to has everything to do with others. Caring for others. Extending the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And some of you have not even thought about that because you thought you were disqualified. You thought you couldn't do it. You thought it wasn't in you. So I just want you to, to prayerfully think through what are what would be five things that God would want to see, and then to, to kind of spin off that. What would you want to see five years from today, if if you could take things that you see right now that are needs that 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 maybe in your family, maybe uh, something in your life that that needs to be dealt with. What are five? What are, you, what are five things that you want to see happen and be in place in five years? And I just want you to do this so that you can begin to expand your thinking and your heart. I want you to shoot all the arrows that are in the quiver and make sure that you don't sit here in a life that is just mediocrity, that, that just goes nowhere other than make more money, pay your tithes, come to church, and then go die. That is not a good plan. What would God want to do? If, if, if I am a masterpiece, and if you are a masterpiece, and He has created us to do good works, what does that look like? I don't want you to hate the rain. And I don't want you to sit in Haran, I want you to hear the call of God on your life. I want you to go on this journey with me. We're going to talk about this over the next several weeks, and I'm going to share some things with you that I've been learning. I, I, um, I you know, I, I've had some incredible people just really speak into my life recently, and and um, some pastors that have have been going where I'm going and maybe a step or two ahead of me and and it's just changed so much of, of what's going on in my life I have a life coach that uh, a guy that was a professor of mine in grad school and and I talk to him almost every week and and I'm being challenged by him and 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 I've I've gone to meetings where it's just been about God what are you saying what do you and I've gone to these conferences and things not I don't even like stuff like that but I just am drawn because I know God is changing something and and I'm excited about where I'm going but I'm not going to be excited if you don't go with me. I want you to go with me. And so over the next few weeks you're going to hear a lot of my heart things that I've been learning things that I don't have all the answers to but it's going to be a lot of fun exploring. And I want to see what God might do with us that we weren't thinking about. And these things, instead of stopping us, they propel us. They become the fuel of the sacrifice that changes our lives. One of the things that I want you to know, um, this is one of those deals that's reserved for people who have given their life to Christ. You can't, this is not a self help deal. You can't, you, you might pick up some stuff, but, but the fuel for this isn't there without Jesus because we're created new in Him. And so if you don't have that, that relationship, and I'm not talking about signing up for religion, that's not what I'm talking about. If you don't have that relationship, if, if you're trying to do this on your own, you might have some good days, but at the end, you won't have reached the ultimate. And so, a great place to start is simply by giving your life to Christ. And so, if that's you and you want to do that today, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. I want you to pray it in your heart. And I want you to begin this relationship that could change your world, the world around you. So let's pray. Father, on behalf of those who are here today, who are wanting to make a major life change. To become the masterpiece that You've promised. Lord, I pray on their behalf that You would begin this relationship with them. Lord, we ask You to come into our heart. We ask You to forgive us of our sin. We ask You to make us the person that will change the world around us to make us the person who lives a life that is incredibly effective. Lord Jesus, we invite you into our heart right now. Father, I pray for all of us. I pray that we would become the people that you want us to be. Lord, that we wouldn't let these things, the fear, the pain, the failure, get in the way of what you want to do, but we would ask that you allow those things to be the fuel of the sacrifice of our lives. And Father, I just pray that um, the world would be a better place around us because of the decision that we make today and in the next few weeks. Lord, we love you so much and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.